Welcome to the Yield Podcast. I am Brooke Payne, your host. Together, we are going to create passive income, organically grow your side hustle, meanwhile, being completely submitted to God's leadership throughout the process, because that is how we exponentially grow. So we are here with Dr. June Archer. So everyone wants to know the secrets of happiness. So Dr. June Archer, let us in on those secrets in his new book, Yes, Every Day Can Be a Good Day. President and CEO of 1128 Entertainment, June Archer got his first exposure to the industry behind the microphone. Executive producer of reality shows The DocuTape and Behind the Unsigned on Fuji TV, and co-producer for motivational content on ESPN. What a bio. We are so honored to have you here on the podcast. Brooke, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that intro uh, because some days you need to be reminded of what you've done so you can move forward to, you know, complete and execute more things along your journey and the dreams that you have. So I appreciate you even uh, sharing that with your audience. Absolutely. It's, I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit, you know what I mean? Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump in. There was two main reasons I reached out. Currently, the racial climate is, you know, the spotlight of the racial tensions and George Floyd. Um, And so I was like, we need to talk about racial reconciliation. Um, So we're going to talk about some stories and advice from you as a man of color who also is in business. Just I want to hear some of your personal stories and some advice that you have for us. And then also just practicals for motivation. You're, You're in that motivational space. That actually wasn't in your bio, but you're a most motivational speaker. Um, you've got a lot of knowledge and wisdom on that. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to dive in first on the racial reconciliation. Um, you, I've heard you say it over and over that family is so important. It's so vital and being where we're at right now, I just want to hear as a father, um, as a motivational speaker, how can we as white, black, brown, how can we kind of unify as a family? Uh, to kind of just bring some reconciliation. Brooke, I'm glad that you asked that question because just this morning or uh, moments before uh, this interview, I do posts every morning, uh, Monday through Friday. And this morning's post was, I dream in color, Mm. right? However, the context was, we have to start from the beginning to really move forward. And I, what I mean by that is we are human beings first. Let's take, let's take the black, the white, Hispanic, Asian, African, let's take all of that off of the table and let's look at, strip everything away. We are human beings first. And if we start there and then move into love and loving each other as human beings, I think that the race piece is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's great to have the race piece as a sense of who you are, where you come from, your history. But even that we have to question because history has brought us to this point where the pot has now boiled over. Mm-hmm. So let's just, not to disrespect any of our cultural uh, uh, things that we've learned up to this point or along the journey, but let's start treating each other as human beings first and love each other like human beings, then share our cultures and what makes us different so that we can appreciate each other. 
So for me, let's get back to the humanistic level of things, loving each other and bringing the village concept back. And the village concept to me has always been a huge piece when you talk about family. It's talking about, you know, obviously your nuclear family, Mm -hmm. but also the people that you have around you in your neighborhood, your neighbors, your, 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 your family and friends in your, in your community, in your town, holding each other accountable for the greater good. So yeah. for me, it's, it's getting back to those basics. We've gotten so far, Brooke, beyond what the basics are that now the foundation has had, has a crack in it. And we all know what happens when there's a crack in the foundation. It's only so long that that thing can sustain itself. And right now, our not only has the foundation cracked, like things are starting to fall off and, and yeah. starting to crumble. And it's yeah. imploding. And now, sometimes, and you can ask any medical professional, what is the best way to heal a broken bone? Break it. Oof. Set it back properly. Wow. Give it everything you need to make sure it's solid, that it fuse together properly, that it will heal properly. And we're at that breaking point. We are at the breaking point now. It's broken. Now <laughs> Let's fuse it back together properly and secure it properly so that it can grow and be even stronger. That's what we need to do. Yes. Wow. That's powerful. You got tears in my eyes. (laughs) So good. So, so good. And what are some practicals, you know, when you're talking about, you know, let's not, let's not look at it from, okay, you're, I'm white, you're black. It doesn't really matter. Um, What are some practicals to kind of like push through that veil of, um, you know, people trying to be, yeah, just culturally trying to blend in. And I just know I've seen different sides of it and I'm just looking for some practicals. Cause again, it's like, you know, this is kind of brand new to a lot of us, um, who haven't had to live through some of these experiences. And so we're kind of grasping for, you know, I want to speak up. I want to stand with you. I want to be family with you. And for me, I've noticed empathy you know, just having conversations, that's where a lot of it has, I've learned. And, you know, then my friends will give me resources of like, yeah, you should educate yourself on this. Um, but what are some practicals of, of having these conversations and like approaching it with humility? I think the first piece is listening, right? It's communicating properly, understanding how we all communicate, right? You can say, I'm Brooke, do you hear me? You may hear me, but are you listening? Right. Are you listening or are you hearing? Mm. Right. And I have to allow you to agree to disagree. But hearing each other's perspectives is the important piece where and I hate to say, all right, white people, you got to listen to us. No, just just listen to my story, no matter what color you are and understanding that there has been a disconnect in our history. And this is the reason why we are here. Be a good, bad and different in school. For 12 years you're taught about slavery or you're taught for some people, Jim Crow. And that's not everybody's reality. And those are only a few pieces of the story. So if you don't give the whole story, there'll always be holes, right? If you talk about Martin Luther King, you have to talk about Malcolm X. They stood for the same things. They just went about it two different ways, but they were both peaceful. The only difference between Malcolm X was he says, if you cross this line where I live, I'm going to defend myself if you want to hurt me. 
-hmm. That's it. It wasn't a by any means necessary, like I'm just going to kill all people that aren't black. It was never that. But when you don't want that narrative pushed out, what do you do? You suppress it or you try to eliminate it altogether. Being more palatable, Martin Luther King's journey was, oh, it's peaceful, peaceful protest. We can control him and he's nice. So that that's just, let's go with that story. Not right. aggressive. Right. He's not going to, no matter what happens, even if you try to hurt him or burn his house down or hurt his family, he's not going to retaliate. That's the, let's rock with that guy, mm. right? So that's right. the only reason why his story is in history books and Malcolm X is the, let's not get that narrative out there. Like that will get everyone angry and there'll be a rebellion. There'll be, no, let's show both sides of the story because it works for more than just black people. Any human being, if you're going to harm them, they're going to react the same way as Malcolm X. These, these men and women who support the NRA, they think along the same lines as Malcolm X, right? I should have the right to bear arms to defend myself. Sure. That's what the Black Panthers were teaching. That was one of their principles. No different than Malcolm X. But it wasn't to just go out and hurt people. It was to defend themselves and to protect their families, right? Yeah. So we have to begin listening, bro. listening to our stories, not just Black history, sure. history of those who came from the concentration camps, the Jews who came over here, the Italians that came over here. We have to figure out how we learn everyone's history and then mix it up. But you can't just have this story and you don't know this story, and then these people are oppressed, and these people don't even know their story because you don't want them to know their story because it's a powerful, proud story. Yeah, we have to start, as proud Italians come to this country and they share their stories with generations and generations, we have to do the same thing with African-Americans, with Asian-Americans, with uh, Jewish Americans. Like, we have to make sure that we all hear each other's stories so we're all informed, and we are a melting pot. America is a melting pot. We have to begin acting like it. Right. Oof. That was a powerful statement too. Um, so no pressure either way. Is there any parts of your story that kind of relate to this topic that you want to share? Um, just as we're kind of talking about like listening to each other's stories. Yeah, I think what I can share with you, Brooke, is I grew up in a small town, uh, Windsor, Connecticut, uh, right outside the capital city. And it wasn't without its issues, right? But we grew up at a time where we can have discussion. We can, we can agree to disagree. And I had to learn how to sift through, navigate racism uh, or hate, right? But we realized it was a generation before us. Right. Our, my peers didn't really know racism. Some were taught racism. They were taught hate but it didn't come from us and we were trying to figure it out. It was a very sweet spot in history for, for my generation. And I had to navigate those things. I, I, I have been called the N word. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have been called, oh, that's cause you're black, right? And for me, I am of Jamaican descent. So my parents are West Indian, they come from Jamaica. So there's this, there's this oh, and, and you come from, you know, people who migrated from here, your, your parents, immigrants right 
but I was born here. I'm an American citizen. And I was able to navigate those things. And people look at me today and it's, oh, well, why are you so upset about George Floyd and Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown? And that list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not mad today about George Floyd. I'm mad about everything that has gone all the way back to Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Not because it happened to them, because it happened to them and it happened to me. And we're still having those discussions today. And we shouldn't be having these discussions today. It, I, to me, I am disappointed. I am hurt. I'm even embarrassed as an American citizen that we're having these conversations when we are a melting pot, when probably 80% of us don't come from America to begin with. We <laughs> all came here right. to provide a better way for our families to take advantage of opportunity. So we're here as a melting pot, but we're here trying to sift people out of the pot. Like, you yeah, know, I don't want that. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't eat that, right? When in fact, the reason why the, the pot works and the stew tastes so good is because all of the pieces and the things that you put in it to stir up the pot that make up the greater the good, right? Yes. The sum is greater than the whole of its parts, bro. Mm. So when you put it all together, we're such an amazing, beautiful country. But because of our differences and people's non-ability to let go of and not want to learn other cultures and accept other cultures, things have gotten to this point where they are ugly now. Yes. And I think we're going to see it. I really am encouraged that we are seeing change. It wasn't just a couple of days of Instagram posts. I mean, I'm up here in Minnesota. It's an all white community. And we've been talking about race the entire time I've been here. And it's conversations that we wouldn't normally just have around coffee. Um, And I'm just really encouraged that, you know, it's continuing. It's been a week or two weeks at this point. And we're just continuing to, I'm I'm having conversations and I'm learning. And it's not just this thing that's come and gone. It's, I feel there's something really heavy on it and people are actually listening other cultures are listening um and one of my favorite signs that i've seen is uh people are saying george george floyd isn't a wake-up call it's been a call since 1861 y'all have just kept hitting snooze and i was convicted by that i was super convicted by that um and another one was you know having as a white woman having black friends does not make me not a racist and i was like oof that's true. <laughs> you know, it's true. true. It's true. It's true. And it's having those edu- education and, and you being open to it, Brooke. So I, I commend you for that because sometimes people take offense to that and they say, well, I'm not racist. I have black friends. And that's like the number one answer to <laughs> leading you into being prejudiced or being racist or not understanding white privilege. And I think right. that non-people, look, I hate saying white or black. We, we're human beings. And, I, and sure. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I really hope that we can, we can move past that. But sure. non, non-people of color now have to understand and listen to what white privilege is. And you won't get it at first sure. because it comes, it comes with the package, right? Right? So you don't really have to think about it. You think about now, uh, for those who are watching and listening uh, today, when you used to buy cars, right? You would say, well, if you want to upgrade, you can get the automatic windows. 
if you want to upgrade, you could get the CD player in your in the console. If you want to upgrade, you get the windshield wipers that do something different. You want to upgrade, you get leather seats. We've gotten to the point now, right, that we are so spoiled in buying and consuming cars because these things come with it. Yep. Oh, you want you want alloy rims? It's a it's an upcharge, right? But now these things come equipped with it. Right. That's kind of like white privilege. You don't know what you don't know because it can't it comes with the package. And you didn't have to pay for it. You never had to pay for it. You don't realize like it's a privilege to have all these things where people have to be in the position to afford it, to own it, right? I'm trying to make the, the comparison. Yeah. Like because it's it comes with because you're white and you wake up white, there's certain things that you don't ever have to think about because it came with your package. Right. And being right. a white female, one of one of the things, just to kind of shed light um, for something that I didn't even, I've never thought of because I grew up in an all white community. Pretty much everyone I knew was white. All my family's white. Um, and I grew up that way until I was 18 years old. Um, and some things I've never thought about. I drive my car, I get pulled over. Oh, dang it. I was probably speeding. Let me look for the license and registration. That's not your narrative. You know, like it's so many little things. And I've heard my, my white friends and family, they get a little defensive because, you know, when I first heard the term, I'm like, well, I'm not like a prep school brat. You know, I don't come from money. What do you mean privilege? Because privilege in our heads has a different connotation. But what you're saying is like, yeah, you don't get it because you don't know my story and you haven't lived my life. So I think the first initial reaction is, defense but then when you kind of like choose humility and be like okay but like explain that to me as people as I started reading and listening people like yeah you've never been scared to be pulled over by a policeman I'm like I mean yeah no other than a ticket I've never been afraid um never been fearful for my life never wondered if that's ever gonna end in violence never have I ever thought that so that's just so like my white listeners (laughs) they get kind of what what you're talking about and they hear you I just kind of wanted to interject that. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, but that's a key piece, bro. When when white people get pulled over, it's, oh, I really don't want a ticket today. Like, I really have someplace to be. Right. Like, that's the last thing I need is another ticket. Right. For a person of color, it's, am I going to lose my life? Should I move? Should I go for the, to the glove box? Where should I put my hands? What did I do? What didn't I do? Right? As a white person, you... Those things never cross your mind at all. When the lights go on and they are behind you, you're just like, oh, man, they got me. Yeah. When a black person gets pulled over, it's like, oh, man, I could lose my life if I don't do the right thing or if I move a certain way, if I answer the question wrong. Like, there's too much, right? It's almost like having black PTSD. Yeah. So you don't know what to do. So you freak out. So imagine the people who have been killed because they just happen to freak out. Yeah. They just have anxiety in the moment. It's just anxiety of being black while pulled over. It's a real thing. But I think what's important, Brooke, is for people who are white, who are listening and watching and and in our communities, have a conversation with a black and brown person and ask them or, or listen to them say, Brooke, when I get pulled over, this is what I got to think about. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, no. Brooke, when I go to the store and I walk in, there's a difference. When you walk in, they expect that you can afford it. They expect that you won't steal it. For me, they look at me and they say, 
can I help you? Well, Brooke came in here. You didn't ask Brooke if you could help help her. You didn't say to her, oh, well, you know, this pair, this pair of sunglasses are $100. You're like, okay, yeah. Wh <laughs> so why did you tell me? You didn't tell Brooke that. Unbeknownst to you, Brooke and I are together when we walked in the store. Sure. But because you saw Brooke as a white woman, you saw me as a black man, you didn't want to see us together. But because we were looking at two different sides of the department store, you didn't bother looking at her. You didn't ask her if she could afford whatever she was looking at. You didn't ask her if you can help her. Mm -hmm. But you watched me the entire time that I was in the store. Wow. You never took your eyes off of me at all. And for some people, Brooke, and this, this is no disrespect for anybody who's watching or listening, I can, I can afford it, but you never looked at me. But you look at the white woman, you look at Brooke, and Brooke can't afford it. And guess who, <laughs> and guess who walks out of the store with a pair of sunglasses that they didn't pay for? It? But now the glasses are missing, and guess who they run after to figure out why you stole those glasses? Yep. The black man. Mm -hmm. And when I defend, and when I speak up for myself, now I'm resisting. I am being mm -hmm. resistant. I am being angry. I am being defiant. No, I am passionate about letting you know I didn't take your sunglasses. If you don't believe me, look at the tape. Right. You were watching me the whole time. <laughs> you didn't but watch you, that sneaky little white girl. She ran off. Right? Right. No, just, it's just an example. No, and no, I love it. Like we have to start looking at people as human beings. Mm -hmm. Anyone speaks to the George Floyd situation, can walk into a store and give you a counterfeit bill. If that was really the reason, I've had it happen to me, but the, the, the behavior was we've been having, and it could have been the accountability of the person in the store. We've been having an issue with fraud and counterfeit bills. Do you have another $20 bill? You may want to bring this to your bank or where you got it from and let them know. And if you go back to the bank and you got it from the ATM and you went inside, there is a record of it. There is a photo and a video to say, listen, at eight o'clock yesterday, I took out $40. I just went to the store and he told me this is counterfeit. Let's check the tape. Let's look at it. There's accountability in that. Right. Instead of calling the cops automatically on someone saying, Brooke came in here and she gave me a, a counterfeit $20 bill. Can you come? Like now it escalates into something that didn't have to escalate. If we right. just hey, uh, Brooke, I'm sorry, or ma'am, uh, this seems to be a counterfeit $20 bill. I just, you know, marked it with my marker and it's coming up, you know, as a, as a, a wrong bill. Do you have anything else? That's the first part that we can do. Right. And you can say, you know what? I didn't know that. I just pulled this out the ATM. I do have another 20. Boom. Yeah. Transaction is done. You go to the bank and you pull that, in, that situation up with them and right. you make sure that they verify. And you, now, you know what, ma'am? We've been having a problem with this. This we've here's another twenty dollar bill. We'll be looking into it. We got to write it up. These things happen. Yeah. Right. But here's here's the here's the other piece to it. Why are counterfeit bills going around, Brooke? Because there's an economic issue going around and divide that now we have to in order to eat. Mm -hmm. People that are impoverished are trying to beat the system just so they could put food on the table. Right. But here comes white privilege again, if I could bring it up. You yeah. never have to think about that because you get the better education. 
you get the better opportunities, you get the better jobs, you make more money. Mm -hmm. So you never have to worry about how am I going to put food on the table? Do I have to rob? Do I have to steal? Do I have to create a, a, a phony $20 bill just so I could hopefully get it by somebody who I can purchase something and get back real change? Yes. No, it's true. Doing, I appreciate you. I really do. Because I, I, I can hear in your voice that you're speaking out of love and it's making me emotional. Sorry. I, I just know that so many people have questions and so many people are oblivious and it's and it's a lot of my friends don't even notice their biases right like until you're faced with another person's story you have no idea the biases that in the narratives that you've been taught um and that's that comes with all cultures you know what i mean like <laughs> i've definitely been treated a certain way by a different culture because what they expected of me because of the way i look so right now the focus is right wrong with that at all right that's that's the that's the piece that people have to walk away with privilege should be privileged it, it shouldn't have to be what if if people expect something from you why do you expect why are you putting in a, in a a school system that expects you to graduate that expects you to go on to higher learning that expects you to come out and get a great job right right where in fact on the reverse we really don't have any high hopes for you you may not even make it to high school. You're definitely not getting the secondary education. And if you could pick up a skill along the way, maybe you could pick up garbage. Maybe you could clean up the park. Maybe you could scan the tickets when people walk into a, 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 a building, right? The expectation is different, yeah. but it shouldn't be. We should right. all be putting effort into how do we make our next generation of children better while we're yes. educating ourselves better. Right. Yes. So we have to, we have to do that. And Brooke, I think the same thing goes with love. When you talk about understanding, right? If you want to understand someone's culture, it's just like falling in love with someone. Mm -hmm. Right. You come with two different perspectives. You come from two different households, two different way of living, two different ways of living. When you're dating, Brooke, what are you doing? You're learning each other. Mm -hmm. You're understanding each other. Honey, do you love this? Honey, what don't you love? Do you like when I hold your hand? Do you like when I rub your back? Do you like your football? How do you like your soup? How do you like your, like you're learning each other. You're talking. We have to do the same thing that we're doing to fall in love is the same thing we have to do to fall in love with each other on a humanistic level in different races. Oh my God, what happens when you get pulled over? That doesn't happen to me. How come that happens? I need to learn that. Why do people look at you differently than they look at me? If we have those conversations now, I think we're at a point where non-people of color have to speak up and say, here's an example. I went to dinner with two white friends about 10 years ago. Okay. And we walk into the restaurant. And, and there's no shame. That was a Ruth Chris. Because now I think everyone has to hold themselves accountable. We yeah. walked into a Ruth Chris. The young lady comes out white lady and says, oh, a table for two? Yikes. Both of my friends look at each other. They look at me and they say to the lady, are you serious right now? Are uh, you serious right now? You saw the three of us walk in here. Are you asking us for a table or two? No, we're all set. Thank you very much. And you walked out. 
there, therein lies an issue and a problem. Yep. That's a problem, right? You have a situation where a mentor of mine and I are trying to catch a cab in New York City. He hails for the cab. The cab pulls up. I now walk off the sidewalk to join him to walk into the car. He's holding the door open for me, and the cab driver drives off. You're kidding. Brooke, these are the stories. So when we have these conversations, we should start to say, Brooke, if a cab comes up and I hold the door open for you and you begin to walk into the cab and the cab drives off, how would you feel, Brooke? Right. That's horrible. That's so infuriating. Brooke, if you get pulled over by the cop and they come and they hear hand in their pocket and they pull out a gun and they say hands on the dashboard, how do you feel, Brooke? If that same cop pulls you on the, out the car and throws you on the ground, how do you feel, Brooke? How does that make you feel? Those are the conversations that have to lead to questions. We can explain it, but if we don't put it in an I statement and put you in our shoes right. to say, how would you feel if you're driving with your husband and your brother in the car and they pull you over and they say, you can't have more than three people in the car? How do you feel when they take all three of you out the car and they have your brother and your husband on the ground and you on the other side and they say, excuse me, ma'am, do you know these two men? Are they harming you? Did they tell you to steal this car? How would you feel? So it's beyond just having the conversation is asking the questions to right. see how that person would feel. And as a white person, if you, well, they would never do that then you're not listening, right. you're not being empathetic. You're right. not learning a thing. This is what happens every day and has been happening for years and decades. We're not telling you something we think. We're telling you something that we know and that we have experienced. That's how the conversation has to go. Come from a, what would you do if you got pulled over in three cops approached the car. One on the passenger, two on the driver's side. And matter of fact, here comes another one and they're right behind the car. How would you feel in that moment? Would you feel like, hey, just give me the ticket and let me leave? Or would you feel, I don't know if I'm gonna live beyond this moment? Those are the those are the questions. So it's it's more than just conversation, bro. Let's not have conversation. Let's ask you the question. How would you feel? Yeah. And as a white woman, as a white anybody, as anybody, we have to be open to really feeling that, to, to honestly stepping in those shoes and not knee-jerking to be like, oh, yeah, like what you were saying. Dr. June, we have no idea what you all have been through at all. And I think it, it moves me that you're willing to just sit through these emotions and this grief and be like, hey, I'm going to take the time to ask these questions. Because I think yeah. some of my friends, some of my friends are like, you should know. You should know. And we're like. You don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds absurd. But I have never thought through 95% of what you just said, I have never thought through before. And that's my ignorance. And I have to like 
that's my own thing that I have to deal with. But I'm walking away from this conversation and that's going to be the new narrative that I think through when I watch my brothers and sisters, you know, I, now I have a new perspective and now I can hold my other friends accountable. Um, no matter the color, it's, it's just a matter of the biases that we've grown up around. Um, and, and the things that the, even the media has portrayed, you know, and they've done you injustice in that. Uh, but wow, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so moved. Do you have any other thoughts on it? I didn't want to cut you off there. No, no. I appreciate you just expressing that, but it, it's with those questions have to come action from yes. white people yes. and saying, why are you treating them like that? Why are you doing this? Don't just want to learn or, or understand and say, hey, how can we help? How you can help is speak up. Right. So when you see it injustice, speak up. And I feel like in my, on my journey, and this happened yesterday that I feel like we're making small change, Brooke. Mm -hmm. I walk into PetSmart <laughs> and my dog has to get groomed. We, the new phase opened up, groomers are opened up and I walk my dog in there only to see a white man outside the door to go into the groomers. So my frame of mind is, okay, I'm next in line. I give him his space because we're still practicing social distancing. Sure. So I stand on the other side of the door just to give him space. But I am in the middle of that vestibule that uh, vestibule that separates the outside to the store. Sure. Moments later, a white woman walks in with her dog and begins to walk into the groomers past me and past the white man. And he says to her, ma'am, I'm next in line. I'm waiting for the next, the first person that's in and now dropping off their dog. She saw me when she walked in. When you walk in and you pass me and you see him, to me, the first reaction to say is, the last person in the line is, is this the line? Right. <laughs> right. He commenced to letting her know, like I said, I'm waiting for the next person and that gentleman is next. To me, that was huge. Yes. Right? That was huge. But guess what, Brooke? As much as we're learning, right? What are we learning? Because here is what the problem is. She never comes to me to say, oh, I am sorry. I guess I'm behind you. She goes to the desk where the register is and says, oh, my God, I left something on the pot. I left 10 minutes away and I left something on the stove. I didn't know that it was going to be so backed up and that, I, you know, that it was going to take this long. Can I leave my dog here? No. <laughs> Hold up, Brooke, here comes white Sorry. privilege. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This, this is white privilege. And it seems like a nuance, but this is what white privilege is. Can, can I just leave the dog here? How long is it going to be, right? To the point where this black man says, you know what, you could probably leave him here. Um, She's like, I just want to leave here. I just want to run and, and take care of what I got, and I'll be right back. I don't want to lose my spot in line. He's like, well, it's not really that busy. It's just those two people. She's like, yeah, but it may get busy. I don't want to lose my spot in line. She begins to tie her dog to the end of the register when a manager comes out, and he goes, ma'am, um, can I help you? She's like, 
repeats the story. I, I live 10 minutes away. I didn't know it was going to be this long. I don't want to lose my spot in line. Can I just leave my dog here and I'll be right back? He's like, we, you can't do that. We don't, we can't be responsible for your dog. She's like, but I'll be right back. I mean, Aaron, bro, she's take arguing. your dog. We are now at least four minutes into the conversation. And now she is getting upset. She is getting angry that no one understands that she needs to go to handle what she's handling at home that is on the stove so she can come right back and not lose her place in line. I'm sorry, whether you're black or white on this conversation, Puerto Rican or other, polka dot or what have you, <laughs> that is white privilege that you would buck this, try to buck the system and push your point in the event that I said, hey, can I leave my dog? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, sir. You have to wait in line like the rest of everyone else. But the nerve she had. And that, was, and that would be it. That would be, there would be no long drawn out conversation. I would have to know my place. And at that point, if I became indignant, sir, uh, if you do not calm down, if you do not stop, we're going to call the police. This is the perfect example of, hey, we were getting ready, to, we were doing the right thing until. Because you have some people that want to make the change. Yep. And then you have some people who, because of systemic racism and injustice. Yeah, I get, yeah, great. George Floyd, great. I'm a white woman and I need to leave my dog and I left something on the stove. A couple of things here. I've never been to the groomer where it's only going to take a minute or two. It's going to take you some time. So if you left the house knowing that you had something on the, on the stove, you are ignorant. <laughs> yeah. Or call someone and tell them at the house, can you take that off the stove? This is going to take longer. Or just simply, Brooke, pack your dog back in the car, go home and come back. You're going to have to get online. <laughs> That's it. But as much as, as much as the change happened in that moment with that white man yeah. telling that white woman that the black man was next, that white woman didn't want to hear it. Like, I, oh. I, I want my spot in line. That was a powerful statement. I don't know if you just said, if you just caught what you just said. That was powerful right there. Crazy. In, as she walks out, she never acknowledges me. She never acknowledged me on the way in. She never acknowledged me on the way out. Jeez. We have to do better. Yes. I don't care. If, I don't care who it was. Listen, is this the end of the line? Obviously, if you look and you're paying attention, there's a line. There's somebody waiting. I don't know of too many people, Brooke, who would just sit in the front of the store with their dog just to hang out, just because I felt like I looked cute. I look nice with my dog. I'm just going to sit here with a dog that needs to be groomed. I'm just, I'm just hanging out. I'm not buying anything. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just, I'm just hanging out. Go right ahead. Enjoy yourself. It's obvious. It's obvious. It's just obvious. Right. Right? We made change in that one moment only for someone to still bring us back. And I feel like we've made so much stride in America that every time we backslide, it's an issue. But this George Floyd situation was a perfect storm 
where because of COVID, no one has really gone anywhere. And we're watching the news because guess what? We're watching to find out what the next phase is because we want to get back to the way of life. We're sick of being so happened, We see this officer put his foot on George Floyd's neck until he was lifeless. And not, not black people saw it, not Puerto Rican people saw it, not Indian, not Asian. Everyone saw it. That means white people were front and center and watched it. Yep. Because guess what? We're not going about our daily lives and being busy and sweeping it under the rug. We all watched it. And I don't think people realize there was a white woman that was watching and said, you guys are going to kill him. He can't breathe. Mm-hmm. There's an issue that if a black man is taping and a white woman is telling you, you're going to kill him and there's no remorse, there's no let up. That is savage. That says a lot in that moment. I don't care if you're a black man or a white woman. You hear what I just said? Yes. I don't care if you're a black man or a white woman. I have my foot on his neck. Mm. That disrespects a black man, and it certainly disrespects a white woman. And I think white women, white people should be upset about it. A white woman in that moment I, my opinion doesn't even mean nothing to me. Right. And I'm telling you what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. It's not about color. It's about right or wrong. And you're getting ready to kill this man. Yep. Not a black man. Not a Puerto Rican man. You're getting a ready man. to kill a man. Period. So for those who are listening and watching, trust and believe when I'm telling you, I'm not looking at the world in black and white. I grew up in a community that was at least 90% white. My good friends from childhood, from kindergarten to today are predominantly white. I have friends of all color. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Some of them have in different perspectives. I love them anyway, because that's just what it is. No one is perfect. But the one thing I could say is we, we didn't expect this. We did not expect this. And it affects everyone. Why does it affect everyone, Brooke? Because white people are getting hurt. Good white people are getting hurt. Good white cops are getting hurt. Good military people who are white are getting hurt. Why? Because black people are angry. They don't want to hurt you, but they are so passionate about what they believe that whatever is in their way is in harm's way. And they're not thinking clearly. No, they're emotional. So it's a human being problem, like we said at the top of the show, right? There are black cops that are getting hurt. There are Spanish cops that are getting hurt. Why? Because they're cops, period. Because people have been oppressed by cops for so long. So let's not look at it as a black and white thing. It's a black thing against law enforcement. Yeah. That's what it is. I get it. You're a white cop and, and, and you've been threatened. It's just because you have on the uniform and people have been oppressed by that uniform. Let's change the narrative. Protect and serve, not kill. Right. And we change the narrative. No one should be getting hurt at all. I have friends that are white that are cops, that are state troopers. I, I respect them. I respect what they do. They look at it as right and wrong, not black and white. 
Right. So it's not a matter of, oh, June, you're you're pro-black. No, I'm pro-life. I'm pro doing the right thing versus the wrong thing. Because yes. I don't want any of my white friends who are in law enforcement to get hurt. Sure. I don't want any of my friends who are in the military who are white who were told to go out on these front lines to get hurt. No, walk with the people who have been enslaved and and injustice put upon them and just try to change the narrative. Don't let the good cops look bad because of the bad cops. Ooh, that is so good. Man, thank you so much. I I genuinely am and so stirred, so moved by this conversation. I mean, I just I really do appreciate your humility. And the one thing that I want to say, um I almost don't want to say it, but I feel like you'll hear me. Um when it came to that cop watching that video of George Floyd, there was definitely some, there was definitely some bias, right? Like it's obvious that that was brutality. It, that, I mean, no one can watch that video and argue that that was not brutality and that that was not racism. That was absolutely what it was. And that's why it's moved all of, that's why this movement has started. But I also want to point out no matter what color that cop was or what his biases were, that moment was a pride issue. That was a like infuriating yep. pride because I think had there not been people standing there filming him, right? He's like, no, this is what I'm gonna do. My knee's here, I'm not moving. You're not making He's me committed. move. He was committed to the moment. He was committed to the moment to see it all the way through. And that was pride in its ugliest, you know? And it's like, absolutely, it was a race issue. It was brutality. It was all the things, but- I think now, if that guy was to look back at that moment, if he was honest, he would know. I, I would hope that he would see that was that was pride. He, a white woman, is looking at him, and he was like, "I'm not going to back down. You, you don't tell me what to do." Oh, I could vomit. It's disgusting. So, <laughs> that, that's anyway. pride of ego. And and I'll add this. And, and I, I, I'm sorry. I know. I know. I'm talking. No, I don't um, apologize. I think we have to get away from the dish piling. Yeah. And what I mean by that is white people saying, well, what did he do to deserve that? Oh, the he, heard he had drugs in his pocket. Oh, he had a counterfeit bill. Oh, he, he, he'd been in jail before. Okay. If, if half of that was true, does that warrant being killed? Right. When we talk about white privilege, when you get pulled over, no one ever says, well, why did you pull her over? Because she was speeding. She ran a red light. It wasn't, well, you know, she's been caught speeding before. Well, you know, she stole those pair of glasses from Gucci before. Um, you know, no, there's, there's no dispiling on there, right? But if you talk about, well, he's been in jail before. Why was he in jail? Well, maybe he, maybe like Eric Garner, he was selling one, one, pack of cigarettes he's broken up he's selling ones he, in fact, he's trying to hustle some money why because he can't get the job that he wants so he found a way to be creative in what he did but because the government doesn't make money or is not able to tax what you're selling outside of the box of cigarettes that you're selling one cigarette at a time and we can't tax that you're doing the wrong thing no he he's trying to make a way to make extra money but if you economically help him advance, he never has to hustle. He never has to do that, right? 
I don't know too many white people who are in New York on 125th Street who are bootlegging CDs <laughs> or, or who are selling single cigarettes who are just trying to panhandle. Right. Why is that? Because it goes back to the systemic piece of it. Empower them. Educate them properly. Yes. Opportunities. And you never have to you never have to do that. But if you continue to lock people out after a while, just like a relationship, Brooke, if you're not being loved and you find love outside of the relationship, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. Yep. Right? For those who are impoverished, once they feel locked out, guess what? Now we're going to go somewhere else where we're going to have to take. Yep. So yes, we, we go to those areas and we take from the rich white people because we don't have anything over here. Right. But now it, it, it adds to that narrative like, oh my God, black people, they're gone. They're, they're, now they're in our neighborhoods. Why are they? We don't ever have to ever go in your neighborhood if we are empowered and are making money, circulating the money in our communities and able to put food on our table. Right? Rich people don't rob each other to get by because they have money. So when you say, oh, well, you know, they deserve it. Like, they kill, black people kill black people. They're killing each other because they're trying to survive. Yes. But if you were put in the same situation, Brooke, what would you do? Call your way. You go out of your way to do whatever you can, right? To feed your family, to eat by any means necessary even if it means i may have to hurt someone i don't want to but i need some money if you don't give it to me i'm gonna have to hurt you for getting that piece of food so i have to do that i don't mean to hurt you but i gotta eat my kids haven't eaten no one ever thinks about that piece right and because they've done that they've been to jail maybe once or twice but you never say my god Brooke went to jail two times because she she stole some food from the supermarket because she had to feed her kids who are home and she's got to they're not she's not even homeschooling them they're just home because she can't afford to give them anything or to put them in the right school system so that's why she's been arrested mm. and it's pulled over and she can't afford insurance she can't afford registration so she's driving in the car that is illegal but she has to get to that job Brooke. why because she has to try to make that money to bring it home and she gets pulled over and she gets in the jail and they're like well see what happens but you know she got pulled out the car and treated that way but she's been arrested before she got caught stealing before but why the question is why but if you've never been in that situation you don't understand the earnest you don't understand the desperation right so once again those questions what would you do, Brooke, if I, you did not get the job? You can't pay the mortgage. You can't pay the rent. Your kids are hungry. There's nothing in the cupboards. What would you do? As a white woman, you do the exact same thing that a black woman would do in that situation. There's no doubt about it, especially because of the systemic racism piece. Because guess what, Brooke? Your mom and your dad, they can't give it to you either. Can't look to your friends because they're in the same situation. So everyone's trying to rob and steal. And the moment you get something, guess what? The person living next door to you is going to try to kill you for it, right? So now they go, oh, that's white on white. Um, no, 
It's not white on white. It's just another person that happened to be the same color as me that realized that I got some food and they're hungry too. Mm-hmm. So it's not white on white crime. It's just another human being that saw someone else find a way to eat and I got to eat. So if Brooke has it, I have to get it from Brooke because I can't find my way to the, the richer neighborhood to get it. But Brooke is right here in my apartment complex. She's right here in my neighborhood. So I'll just get it from her because she found a way to get it so she could go get it again. And I just take what she has. Yeah. <laughs> that's and absolutely it's a, right. It's cyclical. It's, it's, it's the sick cycle. Right. And, and I, cycle. I mean, not that it, this is nothing in comparison, right? I have no grid for any of this. Um, the only like slim, tiny piece that I can relate to is um, we just, we just finished working on a duplex in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. And uh, we're like three doors down from the projects, right? And everyone in that, everyone in that area knows each other. People that are working for us, every, I mean, you point somebody out who's walking, they're like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so, da 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 here's his history. They know they are a tight-knit community. So as soon as they see me out there painting, especially, you know, I'm a white girl, right? They're like, oh, she got money. So they, they I mean, thank God that our locks worked well. Um, I think we got almost broken into three times in a matter of a month. And they were just like, right there, they, they bought appliances. We can get those appliances. We can sell those appliances. I mean, it made sense, right? Thank God they didn't get in there and steal it because I wouldn't have been able to replace them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But if you have it and I need it, I want it. There it is. Right? Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this, Brooke, not being disrespectful. I, no, I yeah. love your spirit. I love your spirit. Here's a, here's a, here is a moment where we could change the narrative. Right. And as simple as this, when you say they work for us, right? Mm-hmm. How about we start to say they work with us? Yeah. Right. So that would change because now when people feel inclusive, when they yeah. feel a part of something, there's a certain pride, right? Yeah. So if I feel like I'm part of the equation, I don't I don't want to destroy that. I don't want to, t- I don't want anything to happen to it because I'm included in that bigger picture. Right. right? So when people say, oh, well, this, well you, you know, you work for me, like, or you work mm. for this person. There's no ownership. There's no skin in the game. Right. right. So maybe we should start thinking we instead of I. I love that. We instead of me. Right. Because it's inclusive. Once again, go back to your relationship. If your husband says, well, you know, I, I, got a, I got a new house. I got a, you know, I got a new couch. I got, I'm glad I got this new TV. At some point, you don't feel inclusive and you're like, well, this doesn't feel like a home to me. Because right. you're not, in, you, when you go out and you tell your friends, I bought a new house. You didn't say, we bought a new house. My wife and I just purchased a new home. My wife and I just bought some property. Oh man, I I just bought some property. I, you know, I'm gonna. Someone is gonna feel like they're not included, right. they're not a part of it, and when that happens, it's you know what, it's yours. It's not mine, right? So if the, if the house burns down, it, it wasn't mine to begin with. Yeah, it was. You didn't include me, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, you made money off the property. I didn't make it, so it's not my money. You lost money on the property. Sorry to hear that. Wasn't my it wasn't my property. Right. I didn't lose money. I was never included. What do you mean? No, that this for 
No, because when you spoke about it, you came from an I statement. You didn't say we. You never, you were never inclusive. Right? So it's just those small things. Not not nitpicking on you, but but no, those no, that's valid. We have to start saying, hey, we have to, or we work together. Not, hey, I know you're working on that thing for me. Hey, I know you're working, we're working together to make this thing happen. Sure. It's just changing those little things, right? That adds to whatever privilege, whatever, because it's not just white privilege, it's privilege, right? There's, there's, hey, I have money to buy a property. I have money to do these things. You don't. So I pay you to do it and you do it. No, listen, we're working together here. Like, yeah. so when, when that building is done, Brooke, when that project is done, they walk away with a sense of pride that if yeah. anyone wants to vandalize it, it's, hey, we worked on this to make our community better. Do not spray paint. Do not break in. Do not break a window. Do not deface the pro. We worked on that. Right. Our hands help build that. Don't, so that sense of pride is attached to those things. And if we start doing that from a relationship standpoint, from a community standpoint, from a black and white standpoint, this is our country. Not, this is my country. Sure. Y'all need to go back where you come from. No, the Asians came over here, they, they, they built the railroads. Sure. Black people came over here, they contributed. Italian Americans came here, they contributed. Everyone, this is our country. That's how we should speak. About this, this is our matter of fact, this is our world. Yep. Let's do better. Yes. Let's do better. Let's treat each other better. That's good. That's so good. And I will say, the uh the gentleman Leon is his name. Shout out to Leon. He we met him in the community. He stopped by. He was, you know, just conversation and stuff. And um we asked him, Hey, do you want to work? You know, and he he was amazing. I mean he's incredible. He's, you know, we still hang out with him. And, uh, and there was a, an opportunity where, or not an opportunity, there was a moment where, long story short, actually a white man, uh, and this is probably my own biases, right? Uh, he was white. And so I trusted him. He had the lockbox code. I said, Hey, give me an estimate. Let me know. He came in that night. And I'm telling you, when I tell you he stole every single tool, he stole every single tool and it's fine. Right? Like, they can be replaced. Not a big deal. But the fact went through my mind. I said, oh, I trusted him more so than I trusted Leon. Leon has a key. And that night we all met up the next day and Leon was like, he was infuriated. He was madder than I was. And he's like, where's that guy? What was his license plate? What did his car look like? We're going to find him. You know, and he was mad. He was so mad for us. And I was like, wow. And after that, I was like, you can have a key. You can keep a key. And, um, and it just, it like shifted the way I thought about it. And it was pretty much after that, I was like, well, if Leon knows them and if Leon says they're good, then they're good. And it was kind of like, and, and I think in the vandal, not the vandalism, the, the break-ins slowed down after that because then Leon was on our team. Right. So then he, but, but you're absolutely right. And you should have called me out when I said I, or ours, it was his Leon was a hundred percent a part of that. And he's probably the reason that people don't break in anymore, <laughs> you know, because we had him on our, you know, on our team and he knew he was family. Um, and anyway, but, but it's true. It's, it's just, it's the subtle, it's subtle, subtle little things that, that I need people to be like, Hey, just, 
just when you say that, this is what it communicates. It's like, oh, well, that was in my heart. And they're like, well, we know. It's just, just we know. <laughs> yeah, I know I, yeah, we know what you meant. Right. But just think about what it feels like on the other end. Oh, sometimes okay. I always relate it to relationships because that's the, that's the humanistic point, right? Sure. It's, you know what? I'm going to make myself a plate. And your husband sits on the couch. And you're like, I didn't want to eat. You, you only made a plate for yourself. Right. right? That's kind of what it feels like. Right. Yeah. And we're taking race out of it. Right. Oh, sure. We're talking about humanistic piece. Yep. Like you mean to tell me that you wanted to eat. Right. And I didn't want and you didn't want to make me a plate. Uh, and now, let's take it a step further. Guess what? When you walked into the kitchen to get something to eat. There was nothing there because he ate everything. That's what systemic racism, injustice feels like. It's what racism, it's what white privilege feels like on the other hand, right? So that's why I like to break down, right? Let's stop, let's stop looking at it from this context. Let's, let's break it down in a different way so that you understand it. Yeah. I'm, he's eating, you're not. But you go to get something to eat and there's nothing there. So now what are you going to do, Brooke? Are you going to try to take some off his plate? Are you going to ask him? Now you got to ask permission to get some off his plate. And in hopes that he will share something with you. He may not share half of it. He may not share all of it. He may not share any of it. But you have to ask him. Because what? He made the plate. So it's his food. And you should be lucky if I even allow you to have anything off of this plate. That's racism. That's, that's racism broken down in a different form. Right? How, do, how would you feel, Brooke? I'm asking you this question. If your husband did that and that chain of events happened, how would you, like, what would you do? What would I do? What would you do? I'm this a little scrappy. <laughs> I would, I, I, I would absolutely. And I'm, I believe equality is like a huge thing when it comes to, you know, race or relationships, like equality is a big um, thing that I'm like, I'm just really passionate about. So I, you know, if he'd been like, well, here's, here's one, or here's like a bite. I'd be like, uh, uh, no, you give me the half. You, you're half. I'm half. That's, that's how it goes. That's so how I, you break it down. Right. And so I, this is making a lot of sense. So to me, you break that stuff down, Brooke, moving forward. And we hear each other out. We ask these questions or even put yourself in that situation. Like I said, how would I feel as a white woman? How would, how would we feel as a white family if this happened to us? Like if you, if you go to the store with your family, your husband, and you're like, yeah, we, we have a weight. We're not seating anybody. But then you hear like, you're not seating any white people. Like you, you guys could probably be the last on the list. And then a black family walks up and like, oh, hey, June, yeah, come, come sit down. I thought you said there was a waiting list and you weren't sitting. Like, so you, Joe, you really aren't sitting any white people. That happens. Yeah. That's privilege broken down. But just it happens to more black people than people believe. Yeah. So when we do better and we treat people better, I think we'll be a, be I think we'll be a, a better human race for it. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to share this episode and come follow me at Brooke A. Payne. That's Brooke with an E, A-P-A-Y-N-E on Instagram and Facebook. 
and all of our resources are in my bio. Thank you guys so much. It means so much to me that you're listening.